the 1930s or you know before that there was like there was some sort of peg right there was like a gold peg so everything would unwind but you know in the, in the fractionally reserved system banks would go bust there was bank runs but ultimately like someone ended up with that gold bar that bearer asset well we don't have a bearer asset anymore it's all fiat it's all IOUs built on top of each other. All right, welcome back to Generational Arbitrage. I am Tyler Neville sitting down with Dylan LeClaire. So far, you've only heard from old white guys on my podcast, but today you're getting a, a little hint from the younger generation, the Gen Z generation. So I'm hoping this will be a little bit uh, different. Dylan is the co-founder of 21stparadigm.com. It's a firm that helps individuals and businesses integrate into the Bitcoin network and utilizes Bitcoin as a reserve asset. He also writes the Deep Dive Monthly for Bitcoin Magazine. Dylan dropped out of college to pursue the opportunities in Bitcoin and has scaled his social media presence to be an up-and-coming voice in the Bitcoin community. He is the personification of decentralizing power and the future of economics. So Dylan, welcome, man. Thanks for having me on. Excited, yeah. to, excited to chat with you. Do, you. do you like that intro? Was that, uh, you know, did I pump your tires enough or what? Yeah, that was, that was good. You pumped me up yeah. a little bit. So. Best one so far? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hey guys, I wanted to invite you to a special event we're having from August 11th to the 13th in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. We're going to be talking about the future of the monetary system at a very historic venue too. We're going to have speakers like Mike Green, Lynn Alden, Pippa Malgram, Grant Williams, Dan Tapiero, Jeff Booth, and a variety of others. And maybe you will even have a special guest as well. So uh, come join us. I'm really excited about it and uh, hope you're there. So... Let's dig into your background. Tell me uh, about yourself, where you went to school, and kind of your journey so far. Yeah, so um, born and raised in Vermont, still uh, still here, uh, pretty small state. Um, you know, went to went to the University of Vermont. Um, you know, about ten miles from home, so <laughs> didn't venture out too far. Um, studying business and economics, um, and that was during the 2019-2020 year. Um, COVID hit and uh, I was kind of falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. So decided to, to just drop out because uh, the Keynesian economics, kind of what I was learning, what I was paying to learn wasn't, uh, I didn't really find it worth the investment, both, um, you know, for like money, but also just my time. Um, and I, at the same time, I'm like learning on Twitter and podcasts and anything like that's out there for free, basically. So Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, just dropped out, picked up, a you know, just run of the mill manual labor job, um, for six, seven, eight months, not even sure. Um, and kind of at the same time I'm on Twitter hanging out. Um, and I, you know, one thing turned to another and I started up at Bitcoin magazine, uh, in February or March, uh, or well, actually before that started a 21st paradigm. Cause, um, I was getting a ton of questions about Bitcoin, having been that Bitcoin guy for a while. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, friends and social circles and stuff. Um, and it was just kind of taking up a lot of my time, especially after Bitcoin passed the all time high and the frenzy kind of started up. Oh yeah. Um, and I just, you know, just found myself like kind of squeezed for time. So started that up as kind of just like a small, small side gig, um, to help like local businesses and individuals kind of figure out what was going on and how to think of it. Um, so that's been, that's been good. Um, and went from like media ops part-time with Bitcoin magazine and like in, in March to uh, covering more financial markets to now doing uh, the deep dive, which is like a, a daily uh, newsletter, but also um, we do like monthly reports. It's about 20 pieces of content a week and we cover like global macro 
derivative mm-hmm. markets and on-chain stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. It's super impressive what you do. I, you know, I spent almost 15 years in financial markets and at 20 years old, you're already surpassing me. So if you haven't checked it out, check out Dylan's work. Uh, It's really, it's really good stuff, dude. Um, So that was a really divergent move. You dropped out of college. Uh, You saw the cost of college. Can you talk about basically what is going on in your generation from you know, internal, like what, what's the vibe from all your friends that are going to school and they come out with this giant debt burden? Um, and, and are they like feeling jaded? What's the psyche behind that? Yeah, I think there's overall, there's, there's kind of a stigma about not going to school. Um, it's, and it's, it's more just implied. It's not, you know, it's not really like too in your face, but you know, you go to school you're, you're in high school and there's uh, like a university day and everyone wears their t-shirts or, you know, uh, when, where they're going. And like mm-hmm. the kids that aren't wearing a t-shirt, people are like, oh, did you forget your, your, your college? And they're like, no, I'm not going to school. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, and, yeah, yeah. and so there's just kind of like an implied, like not shame per se, but um, it's like, oh, you're not going to school. Okay. Oh, well, you'll figure it out. And it's like, yeah, I know I'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, and so, and I think a lot of people, there's just a a social pressure to go, um, without, without even an evaluation of the cost, right? Like if you're looking at college as an investment, right. And an investment, you know, like if you're thinking about it in terms of finance, like a company can be a great company, but you don't buy it if it's, if it's extremely overpriced, right? You're looking at it in terms of return on investment. So Mm -hmm. college can be, you know, a great time. It can be awesome for the social scene and you can even get a good education, but what's the cost that you're paying for that, both with your time and in terms of, in terms of money. Um, and so, Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's also like many people just go for the social scene, which is understandable, right? Like that was honestly my favorite, one of my favorite parts of it was the social scene of living with 10,000 kids your age. Um, no doubt, but, um, what I was getting back from it, um, in terms of education, especially after we went home with like COVID, and it was it was all Zoom, right? Like talk, and at the same time, like if you go on YouTube or watch your podcast or watch any anything that's out there for free, it's it's way better. Or you know, at, at the same level, but it's right, yeah. it's free. So um, there's just I don't know. I think there's not enough talk that goes into like evaluating this stuff. Um, and I think more and more people, and I encourage people to to really sit back and evaluate it before they just kind of sign the dotted line and, and uh, end up six figures in debt. Yeah. What you did is really impressive when you think about the social pressures of, of college. And like you said, like you are making a decision that is you know divergent to 90% of people coming out of high school, right? And to do that, and not only you forego the debt, but then you economically, you have revenues immediately pursuing a secularly growing industry likely. So I hope that serves you well in the future. But can you talk about when you'd bring up, would you ever bring up with your college professors, hey, like, you know, you're teaching economics and investments and I'm here, you know, saturated in debt. And how can you juxtapose those two ideas where like they're teaching you about the textbook definition? Do they ever talk about like, negative real rates. Like how do they square that circle of charging you in an arm and a leg? And then you come out of school and have like 
a mediocre salary. Yeah, it's <laughs> it was it was kind of funny. There was like I I took like uh, macroeconomics and microeconomics, but macro in particular, there's a lot of things. And like I love macroeconomics. Like I part of my newsletter I, <laughs> I write about is is global macro and what's happening and fiscal and monetary policy and and all of that. Um, but it was quite obvious. It was like they were reading from a textbook that was probably half a century old. Um, it was like inflation is good. And okay, what is CPI? Or what is inflation? It's CPI. Okay, what's CPI say? Well, inflation's been under two percent for the last decade. Right? But the university, the price of this education has gone up ten percent compounded annually for a decade. So, what about what does that say? And like. It was just little things like that where you'd say, well, well, why is inflation good? And they say, well, uh, because if prices went down, then no one would buy anything. It's like, that's not that's not true. Like, yeah, yeah. I would still go to college if it costs cheaper. Um, <laughs> and so there's just there's just little things like that where, um, you know, first principle thinking kind of dismantles the dogma that they teach. And it's not just about economics, but like, you know, you're forced to take all of these other classes that you don't want to take and prerequisites and all this stuff like um it just you know it, it didn't really add up for me um and i think a lot of people kind of feel the same way but are, are are afraid to take action yeah that was starting so i'm 37 now and i feel like that was starting kind of around my my generation like i'm a older millennial and i i personally like i talked to my parents about dropping out and they were like no way no way in hell you know and, and uh so i i ended up staying but like it was – it definitely crossed my mind. I was like I'm not really learning that much. I went to a top 25 school and you know, the social aspect was why I probably stayed more so. So I'm, I'm now that the, the tuitions have probably even went up, I don't know, God, another 40% since then. Okay. I, I mean it's, it's astronomical and, and crazy at this point. Um, one other thing that you know we didn't deal with as much but I kind of wanted to pick your brain on is – I'm kind of, uh, I have no particular political sides, but I've been increasingly hearing that like, it's really hard to have a diversity of thought on college campuses. Can you talk about your experience there? And was it a Vermont, you know, Vermont's obviously like super liberal in itself. And can you talk about kind of how that um, ethos bleeds into the, the university scene? Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely some irony because they, um, you know, kind of the the liberal approach, and not even talking about liberals in politics, Democrat, Republican, whatever. It's yeah, more just um, you know, kind of the state of uh, our generation, I guess maybe. Um, but it's they they push, you know, quote unquote diversity of of thought or character or you know, race, gender, whatever, um, and. In reality, it's it's a monoculture of of thinking and um, ideology, yeah. um, <laughs> like where if you don't if you don't align with the diverse quote unquote thoughts or um, you know kind of generally accepted um, you know line of thinking, then you are a bigot or you are uneducated or you are X Y Z. I mean, it goes on, um, yeah. and so there's just and and it's. You know, in the economic sense, you know, when they're teaching, like, supposedly about econ, finance, et cetera, it's, it's increasingly, maybe this is a harsh term, but like, it's increasingly like a Marxist ideologies, um, you know, where they're, you have professors up there that are pretty blatant proponents of, of universal basic income and, 
and socialist type things. And, and that's fine. You're entitled to your own opinion, but teaching it as though it is, um, you know, just accepted generally. And there's, you know, not even any talk of the, the cost of, or, you know, like the, you know, maybe the downsides of, of any of these policies that are supposedly, um, you know, no loss kind of things or, you know, must, must have policies or, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it just, it really, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and yeah, it like Vermont in particular is it not even just UVM, um, is pretty yeah. kind of, I don't know, like the Bernie Sanders, uh, economic, economic train of thought. Yeah. I'm generally apolitical, but it's, it is funny analyzing. I try to be as objective as possible, obviously, like, you know, everyone's got biases, but it yeah. seems like the, from what I hear from, you know, the younger generation, that's, this is a very uniform statement you get when you really get behind the closed doors with students and they, they kind of tell you this stuff. Um, so thank you for you know saying it on the record. It's, it's pretty, yeah. it's pretty brave. And honestly, like what you, you did to leave and you, you're pursuing a community. I think that my, my ideals think that like Bitcoin embraces all that is, you know, what you want to learn and grow and have that diversity of thought that, that embody those like principles that you were talking about without um, kind of like the stifling nature of this like giant institutional kind of thing yeah. overhanging you. So totally. pr- pr- pretty amazing. Also wanted to dig in. So when I was growing up, I heard Aesop's fables and the tortoise and the hare, right? Those were like things that we all grew up with. I think you, you probably did too. Where the hell did that story go? And do people like still think like that? Because it it seems like as soon as you get out of college now, you have this giant debt burden and you're already sprinting to try and just like pay it off. Right. There's no, you can't save at that point. You're forced to like take jobs right out of college just to pay the debt. So you become like almost a surf, right? Is that your experience? Do you think that's a fair statement? Totally. I mean, and this is like, you know, going a little bit deeper into like the whole, the whole fiat regime, um, this like debt-based monetary system, especially kind of the later stages of it, which, um, in my humble opinion, we are, we are in, um, savings is kind of basically non-existent. It's either, um, you know, like everything you're, you're incentivized to take on debt. It's debt, take on debt to invest, take on, I mean, that's, I guess, you know, in a sense what college is, you're investing for your future, um, by taking on these outrageous student loans that are not able to be defaulted upon. Um, you know, like I can't go to the bank and get a hundred thousand dollars to start a business or, you know, to try to buy Bitcoin because I've tried. Um, (laughs) but I can go, I can go to, to the, you know, to school and sign up for $60,000 a year with no questions asked without even a look at my credit score, which many people at 18 don't have, like, you know, like rightfully so. Um, and so it does just put like, you know, you have an entire generation of, of millennials um, and, and not so much my generation yet, um, although we're getting there, um, that are living with their parents. They're struggling to find jobs. Um, you know, the, the job market is is pretty, I mean, some strong in areas, but pretty weak, um, especially following COVID. Um, you know, they're not getting as paid as, as much in real terms as their parents were by a long shot. Um, and they're priced out of the housing market. And, you know, and what they're doing is they're just like basically 
barely paying interest expense on their on their student debt. And so it's mm-hmm. a massive it's a like and, and there's some stories that are just like absolutely tragic. Like someone's making thirty thousand dollars a year out of school because they got a poli sci or gender studies or I mean I'm not trying to poke fun at anyone, but just in general these these degrees that are supposedly valuable that don't really have a high um, value in the labor market and and they have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt and there's just there's like realistically there's just no way to come back from that or it's extremely challenging Um, and so I think there's just something inherently wrong with with the process Um, and that's you know that's due to a lot of things um, including like basically a, a monopoly over over capital and and money which is like kind of the whole fiat paradigm we're in um you know the price of money being artificially set and the government kind of having a monopoly on how that's that's issued and directed but um you know that's a deep, that's another conversation yeah well can you dig into like now that you know I, I bet people thought you were crazy when you first jumped from school into bitcoin i bet you they're starting to be like okay maybe he's not so crazy anymore can you talk about how, you know, I, I think you ended, you ended one of um, your newsletters and said, you quoted Victor Hugo and said, nothing is more powerful than an idea whose time has come. Yeah. Are you starting to see like those tentacles spread, those ideas that, that you had kind of branch out into your, your social network and your friend group? Yeah, totally. I mean, so uh, 2020 was kind of an eye opener for me where like I was stumbling down the rabbit hole, uh, like of Bitcoin, um, for a couple years at that point or almost. Um, and then 2020 happened like COVID in the financial markets. Um, and I'm, and I'm at the same time I'm reading about like Dalio and his debt cycles. And I read Jeff Booth's book about, the, about, um, technological deflation and, and just basically how the internet is reducing the cost of information and education to zero. And dismantling all these like you know industrial age jobs and careers. I mean, how inherently that's a good thing, right? Um, but that's not compatible with our debt based monetary system. Um, and I kind of connected the dots for myself. I'm like, that wait, that's so true. Like I'm I'm reading this book. I'm reading like I'm li- I'm reading all these you know articles and listening to podcasts and like learning all this stuff. And I'm it's costing me nothing. And I really believe in this Bitcoin thing, which may or may not be a solution to like an implosion of our monetary system and like, wait, I need to get my hands on as much of this as I can. And so like around like April or May, um, I decided I was going to drop out and I told everybody, I told all my college friends, I was like, Hey, like I'm dropping out. Uh, and they were like, why? And I was like, well, I need to buy as much Bitcoin as I can. And it was like, <laughs> and, and they looked at me like kind of crazy. Um, um, and I, it, you know, sometimes I didn't just deliver it like that. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm deferring. I'll think about it if I didn't want to go down that conversation because that's sometimes turns into a pretty long one. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, the price of Bitcoin was, was 7,000 or something. And, um, you know, I bought every day after that I've bought, you know, I'm still buying at 40 or whatever thousand. Cause I don't, it's not a trade for me. It's Bitcoin is savings. And that's how I viewed it. Like, like the price of college for me is denominated in Bitcoin terms. The price of my time is in Bitcoin terms and, and everything like I've gotten a pay cut over the last you know year as the price of Bitcoin is forexed. Um, and so I just I think when you evaluate things in like or opportunity costs in, in Bitcoin terms, um, everything, you know, looks a lot different. And so I kind of had that realization and, and that was pretty like pretty much the leading factor of me dropping out. Um, 
and a lot of my friends who have kind of been, I guess, like preaching to or evangelizing to, um, have started to come around to, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not as, as crazy as I, I seemed last year. I love that. That's, that's <laughs> a great side. Now it's just time to scale it. But, uh, yeah. can you do, hit me with a story about when you went to a bank? I, one time, I think this is like five years ago. I went to bank of America and I tried to take out like, I think it was a 10 grand of cash to buy uh, gold coins. And they looked at me like I was laundering, you know, you know, drug money for some cartel and I had to fill out like all sorts of paperwork. Was that your, your same kind of, uh, experience? Yeah. I, well, <laughs> once I got a, a credit, a credit score, you know, it was like, I think just like 650 or 700 or something. I'm like 18 and a half. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I'm starting to build it up and I try to just go to a bank and get it straight up. I'm like, yeah, I want to buy Bitcoin. And it was like insta decline. I was like, all right, well, I learned, learned there that that's not the best route. And so then I, I was like, all right, uh, yeah, I want to start a business, uh, that's, you know, we're going to be, I haven't really figured out the business model yet, but, and they were like, no. <laughs> so, um, you so should have went to a capital firm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm investing in this uh, new coin called Sats. Um, no, but eventually I ended up just um, funny enough, and I like posted on Twitter, and a bunch of people like some people called me super smart, and some people were like you idiot. But I, I got a bunch of uh, I applied and got accepted to a bunch of like zero percent eighteen month APR credit cards, and so like that was like last August or something, and I I, I just maxed them. Like without thinking like twice is like 18 months speculative attack. Man. Um, and so did, did all right on that. I mean, even, like, honestly, like I, I will tell people and they think I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, but like I've, I've used it like credit when I've had the ability to even at 15, like 12, 15% interest, um, to, to buy more Bitcoin, like, or like, you know, expenses on that and, and use my income to buy Bitcoin and, and while Michael Saylor can do it at six and a half or zero or whatever, mm -hmm. um, I think it's a pretty solid bet that Bitcoin appreciates by more than that over the next five years. So ultimately, I come on top on that trade um, and I'm, I'm willing to hold through volatility. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I hope you can refinance lower. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, when your balance sheet gets bigger. But uh, the um, so let's let's get into your your dig into a little bit about like your Bitcoin analytics and framework. Cause you know, you want to go into kind of your last research um, deep dive for, for July and kind of talk about the illiquidity of Bitcoin. And that's kind of like where you start, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've just published uh, for the deep dive, um, our July monthly report, um, just kind of covering like the, the three, the, like the, the biggest things that I kind of saw and what was driving the price action. Um, and so like, I mean, the biggest thing to kind of understand with Bitcoin is like the dynamic of, of stackers and hodlers, essentially, like that's the, that's the bull th thesis, like in a sentence, right? It's like, you have a group of, you have a cohort of people around the world that's growing that are buying and never selling or, you know, not for I mean, sometimes ever, but you know, decades, years, et cetera. Like there's just constant accumulation. Um, mm -hmm. and you know. Um, since 2020, that's especially like ramped up. You just saw a massive amount of, of basically coins becoming liquid. Um, and so in May, that kind of reversed um, in a big way. And we saw we saw a pretty like, you know, 50% retracement in Bitcoin. Uh, and there's a derivative market blow up, um, you know, and then a country announced Bitcoin is legal tender. And since then, 
you know, it went from 39 to 30 after that news and people were like, what, what's going on? Um, but at the same time, there was this massive reaccumulation, um, basically like by strong hands. Um, and the price was going lower because we had a lot of like basically bears in the derivative markets um, that were naked shorting using like these using stable coins and, um, and other forms of margin. And so um, mm-hmm. even though like, you know, on, in the spot side of things, it was, you know, there's a, a lot of accumulation. Um, and just like basically people sending it to cold storage, people putting that away, um, price is trending lower because of derivatives. Um, but ultimately, like I like to describe it as like a beach ball being held underwater. Um, it's like eventually there's there's that burst back up to the surface. Um, and that's kind of what we saw. Uh, what was it? July 25th um, when there was that massive short squeeze on, on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just it was just due to that. There was just too many, uh, too many people that were naked short and they all tried to cover at once. Um, and there was a massive liquidation because ultimately like spot, spot demand, spot supply and demand is what drives the price action. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I found really like, you know, one of my theories about the financial system in general is like everything trades in the margin, meaning like the, the, the float of tradable financial assets is kind of constricted right now, basically because you have this generational you know, overhang where you have boomers own the majority along with the silent generation, Gen Xers a little bit less, and then millennials and Gen Z have like like negative assets. And like when you think about it, if you're a boomer and you're sitting on like 40 years of gains, why the hell would you sell even in a 20%, you know, downdraft? You've seen like a generation of assets rising. So that in itself psychologically constricts the float of like I guess like any asset. I think yeah. Bitcoin is that on steroids where like you have a, a what is it? 80 vol asset implied vol asset <laughs> with a yeah. float that's choked. Like you could really see some crazy stuff. There's no, you know, price could go to a million a, a coin. And yeah. so th- that analysis, what's really funny is like in fi- legacy financial markets, Everyone analyzes it off of like these fundamental value principles, but when you really dig into the market structure, you can I think you understand investment way better. It's like who are the actual buyers and sellers of this thing, and because all those fundamental analysts can't tell you why the PEs are like through the roof right now in the, the legacy market, but it really is a market structure thing. The floats choked, and like every incremental, there's no supply that's getting unleashed on the market. So I find your analysis of Bitcoin like really fascinating. And like, and the, the only thing is it is volatile. Like you have these derivative players and if you see people making a lot of money, you're gonna get that kind of like overreaction, right? Totally, I mean, that's that's a great point. Like equity markets, I think, you know, just over the 21st century, like passive has become a pretty major player. I think it's like the, you know, driving force now in, in equity markets, but as well as Bitcoin. Um, and you, you know, you see just, um, you know, with, with retail and like people in their 401ks and retirements and whatever, it's just like passive flows into equities, buyers at any price. And that's almost like a, a vol suppression in a way, right? Like you have, you have passive indexation and like share buybacks, which are both like vol suppression. And then, you know, occasionally you'll see these like massive, um, you know, mean reversion things. Um, or if you're like, if you're talking about like, like Tesla and like 
a super low low float stock with like massive gamma squeeze like and you get a bunch of shorts getting wrecked that's kind of what we see like sometimes with bitcoin except um unlike you know if you're talking about like meme stocks or something that's like going through a short squeeze there's no one in bitcoin that can sell more shares so like essentially what's happening is like you have this massive like people call it like a sat squeeze like it's essentially what it is it's like every single mm-hmm. minute that goes by like i got my dca set up and michael saylor maybe he's not buying today but he was essentially dollar cost averaging hundreds of millions for a while there and you have mm-hmm. like all these people that are like hey i'm just gonna acquire a little more of this every single day regardless of price and which is why the price will never like the price could go down 70 percent. like i don't know it might i don't think it will but what, what's gonna happen there you're gonna have relentless buyers and eventually everybody that wants to sell gets out and so um you know you, you have no one that's able to come in and, and dilute the supply like you would with with an equity if you know it got past fundamental value if you want to call it that yeah i think paul tudor jones said even in march of 2020 when it fell to like was it 3500 or some of the low 80 percent of holders didn't sell so it was like extreme flow choke and then one of the 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 fascinating guys eric peters of uh one river i don't know if you know him he's a basically a volatility he he managed a vol vol fund for years and years and years and he's like he says about bitcoin you know there's no supply response it's actually the first asset where like there's no supply response if price goes up so like the convexity is like insane like it's it's GameStop, yeah. it's AMC all wrapped into one. As soon as you get that psychological change, like we could really see it cook again. Um, and, you know, especially with all the generational gaps of wealth, I got to yeah. think that like inevitably people will lead there. And, and the debt markets are financing Michael Saylor now, you know, <laughs> at 6%. Like if you're a corporate, it's it's like a no brainer to me, but I, I guess the the corporate mindset hasn't flipped just yet. You probably need it through like 60 K again. It's, it's coming. It's coming. I mean, hundreds of trillions of dollars of, of debt. That's essentially zero yields, you know, or real yield, right? Like, yeah, I think it's like 20 trillion of nominal negative yielding debt in the world. And so like Bitcoin, Bitcoin takes, uh, you know, hundred basis points of that. Um, and, and I don't know what that does to price, but it, it more than, doubles or triples the price of Bitcoin because like, again, like the, the float is it's, there's not 21 million Bitcoin for sale or 18 or, you know, whatever the supply is at the moment, there's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when price is set at the margin, like there's not much, there's not much spot demand. There's not much spot selling. Like anybody that's, that's been kind of bearish on this asset is, is already sold, especially from, you know, 60 to 30 K you got a lot of like all of the, the losses, like the realized losses on chain. It was all 2021, you know, investors. And you can see that because the UTXOs were like super, super young. Like mm-hmm. and all of like the OGs or anyone that's been here since 2017 or even 18, 19, 20, like they're just chilling. Like, the, you know, like there wasn't much activity on chain. They're just like, all right, like I'm only up 3X now. Like, oh, darn, you know. Yes. Like, you know what it's like? It's like, it, it's like a baby boomer who owns their house and the, the housing market pulls back. And they're like, I'm still in the money. Like if you're a San Francisco, like real estate owner, you, you have a, you have this tax base that's so low and you're already in the money, like 500 X on your place. You're, you're never going to sell it. I think that's similar to, to that mindset. 
and people have a hard time kind of like wrapping their head around that. It's really fascinating. Totally. Um, so let's get into, I guess, well, actually I want to ask you, you, we brought up negative real yields. Does, does your generation get that say inflation's at 5% and, or 10% of, in terms of college tuition, do they get that? Like if their wages don't rise that much, they're actually like losing money. The whole principle of like negative yield or, or investing to keep up with that rate of inflation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I know there's, there's certain people that, that definitely get it. Um, I have like, you know, I've made a bunch of friends in this kind of space and, you know, young, young people that are super, super sharp. Um, I think in general, like there's like, I don't think there's much thought, especially like in, in college or, you know, while you're still kind of in the, the shelter of like, you know, the, the high school college bubble of, you know, maybe like your parents are supporting you or whatnot, um, about mm -hmm. like, why do prices go up every year? You know, like I, like I've, I've tried to like, I've, and I've successfully orange pilled like a lot of people being like, all right, explain to me why, why the price of real estate and the stock market and every, you know, whatever, why is it up 30% this year? Is it that the house has become 30% more scarce? And they look at me and they're like, Hmm. And I'm like, okay, well just like, what do you think? Like, you know, what maybe, maybe the money supply increased like is that possible and like you know it sends people down kind of like this this intellectual journey they've never taken because like inflation even in like college right like it's or like econ finance it's like explained but not explained like it's you know it's like cpi two percent got it and it's like and abstract you know, most people concepts right yeah yeah it's like okay yeah and like there's never there's never any thought to like you know what if that's wrong or like what if you know what if cpi or what if inflation there's no inflation rate and it's like michael saylor says it's like a vector and it's different for everybody and the inflation rate of someone that's you know attending school or you know buy, like what's the inflation rate of, of someone that's looking to buy a home it's like 25 percent <laughs> like you know yeah. and so um i think there's there's definitely gonna you know hopefully be a switch where people start to to realize and maybe bitcoin is is kind of um moves the needle here and like there's a there's more of a change of thought in terms of like opportunity cost and like you know i got a i got a raise of a dollar but i in real terms like i'm i'm getting paid less like far less um and i you know i've tried to do my best in, in helping people there but i think there's there's still definitely uh an information gap yeah interesting i i th yeah i think inflation if it really keeps up on the rates it you know, 5% CPI, people start kind of asking questions. And there is like this labor push. I talk about the, the battle between capital and labor a lot. And it seems like labor is now realizing, oh my God, like we're not procreating. Like the birth rates are dropping for the next generation. We should probably do something about this. And and I got to imagine, you know, wages should probably rise to to satisfy the debts at some point. But I don't know. The jury's still out. Um, we'll so let's talk about like, this is funny because you talk about short volatility and how Bitcoin is a call option and a put option. Um, and it's lo it's a long vol kind of play that has no theta bleed, which is time decay. Um, mm -hmm. These are concepts that like 
I t- it took me years and years to to kind of like wrap my head around. Um, can you walk through kind of like how it led you there and, and what you view Bitcoin is uh, as a hedge in a long fall play? Yeah, so um, we, we covered it a little bit earlier with like, you know, how basically the Fed put for the last, I think since Greenspan, like 87 has been like, it's basically been a big ball suppression scheme, right? Where the Fed comes in and whenever there's a, like the market has a tantrum and draws down, you know, they'll cut rates or open a repo facility or, you know, since 2008, the TARP bailouts, they'll, they'll do QE. Basically it's just, it's all vol suppression. Um, and so what we have are our credit markets, equity markets, real estate, it's everything, you know, any, any asset that you hold is essentially you're, you're implicitly like your short volatility. Um, and, and volatility, you know, is, is the asset class that, you know, in, in March of 2020, if you're, if you're long vol, like you, you quadrupled up or, or whatever, right. It's, it's, it's basically negatively correlated to everything. But, um, mm-hmm. if you're long vol, it's, you, you have that theta, you have that time decay where, um, you know, if, and like, uh, I, I, in my monthly report put like a, uh, VXX or like a, a vol ETF and like, nobody holds that thing for a decade, obviously. But like since 2011 or 12 or something, it's down like 99.99% because it takes mm-hmm. like short dated one to two month VIX futures and just continues to roll it over. Well, if you look at like the VIX, it's constantly trending down until it's not. And there's like a, a vol spike in the equity markets and everything and every asset draws down. Um, but just the nature of, of central banks and, and how they react to this, um, it's just basically more of the same. And it's like a, a big vol squash. Um, and so... You know, essentially in this kind of debt based monetary system with, you know, if we are at the end of a debt super cycle where rates can't go any lower, um, you know, I guess in, in nominal terms, we're at zero. Um, they can go lower in negative uh, in real terms. And like, you know, we're, we're, there's a lot of ne- uh, real negative yielding debt out there. Um, but essentially, that's kind of the only game they have is to make is to, to keep this system going with more and more debt. They have to push real yields lower. Um, and if they do that, then ball can kind of continue to, to be kind of squashed. But if not, there's a huge debt problem. And so um, what does that mean? Well, that means defaults. That means, you know, asset values plummet because of that. You have less collateral to borrow. Liquidity tightens. Um, and it's a kind of self-reinforcing bust. It's, you know, people think of depressions that like the Great Depression was a private debt bubble exploding. Um, now mm-hmm. we have an everything bubble. We have public sector, private sector, you know, margin debt off the roof, everything. And so, um, you know, every investor is essentially, if you're long the everything bubble, which has been your incentive over the last 40 years, then you're short volatility. Um, and, and that's, you know, done you quite well. Um, but now, um, you know, in 2021, there's there's not much, you know, there's the lemons kind of been squeezed. <laughs> Um, and, and you can still nominally, I think you'll do quite well in equities in real estate, et cetera, over the next decade. Um, but in real terms, like you're probably just kind of keeping up with the monetary debasement. Um, and there's, there's, you know, going to be violent unwinds along this kind of path. I don't think it, it unwinds all the way because they're going to, you know, the Fed, the ECB, all these global central banks will step back in to kind of plug the gap. Um, mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, volatility can't be destroyed. It can only be like, you know, transmuted. It can only be transferred. Yeah. Um, the it's old kind of, it's Chris kind of Cole like, line. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris Cole's been all over this. Um, but in my opinion, 
Um, and, and Chris Cole, you know, talks about how um, Bitcoin or, you know, crypto is kind of is one of the long tails for the inflation. Right. Um, and how on the other side of it, you have volatility and um, other asset classes for deflation. Um, but I kind of view it as Bitcoin is, you know, in the in the deflation side of things, if there's that deflationary long tail where basically everything goes busts um, and there's this 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 huge unwind in the in the banking system. Well, um, just how the fiat monetary system works, like in previous unwinds, say like in the 1930s or, you know, before that, um, there was like there was some sort of peg, right? There was like a gold peg. So everything would unwind. But, you know, in the, in the fractionally reserved system, banks would go bust. There was bank runs. But ultimately, like someone ended up with that gold bar, that bearer asset. Well, we don't have a bearer asset anymore. It's all fiat. It's all IOUs built on top of each other. And so if, mm-hmm. if everything unwinds, like if, if the Fed stopped QE or, you know, if just like they let everything go. Congress didn't pass another stimulus package and they just said, all right, let's, let's see how things figure out. Like there was a good chance, like there were, all of the banks would fail. Like everything would unwind and go to zero. The, the S&P 500 would be below a thousand. Like I, it would be, it would be super violent uh, because in a fiat system, lending creates money and debt, uh, debt defaults destroy it. And so they would just unwind all the way down. And, and in that situation, long volatility, you'd make a killing. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, um, you know, with that vol is you're basically holding, you know, or you're paying insurance every single month, you're paying that theta, that's going to con- like basically continue to be eaten away if you don't, if it doesn't, you know, spike and you don't get a cash out. And so yeah. I, I view Bitcoin because of its assurances of, of 21 million, um, the ability to self custody and have no counterparty risk as a monetary asset. Um, and that, and the, proof of work and like the, the, the costliness to produce Bitcoin um, and like with the difficulty adjustment and all of that um, to be kind of this hedge, both against credit expansion um, and, and um, the quantitative easing and, and everything that we've kind of seen over the last decade. And a lot of people expect over the next decade, um, you know, with financial repression, keeping yields below the rate of inflation um, and just kind of slowly um, eroding away the debt in, in real terms Um I view Bitcoin as, as that inflation hedge, but I also view Bitcoin as a deflation hedge in that yeah. if, if everything does unwind, you're going to, you have your, you have your keys. There's no counterparty risk there. There's no, there's no fractional reserve risk. I mean, unless you have it on an exchange or whatnot, but um, it's kind of, it's kind of the two tail asset that, you know, because of its assurances will, will be there. Let me give, give me your prediction for Bitcoin on a three month, six month, in 12 month horizon. So I can make fun <laughs> of you when you're wrong. <laughs> all righty. Um, let's think, uh, all time highs broken next three months, uh, or, uh, I, maybe not three, but before 2020 is, uh, over, uh, I think we're at past all time highs. Um, maybe not, but I think a lot of big money, um, secured some positions at 30,000. Um, just looking at like spot volumes and, you know, a lot of the guys that came out, um, in support of, of Bitcoin over 2021, um, you know, they don't like buying aggressive, uh, parabolic rises in price, right? Like they don't like chasing. Um, you saw like that credit fund, uh, golden tree, I think, um, pure, mm-hmm. pure debt fund and they bought Bitcoin. And I think they bought it for kind of the same thesis as we just talked about where Bitcoin is, is this, this hedge against fiat on both, both tails. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I think there's there's going to be more of those announcements, um, and they're going to try to keep it under locks. Um, but I think under the surface, there's some big accumulation going. And I, I think with Bitcoin and kind of the reflexivity of a, of a bull cycle um, and what you see with like accumulation and especially if, if like derivative markets, you know, we see this like a little bit of like that, that futures curve and, and contango come back. That's kind of like that acts as like a big pull for, for capital from legacy markets when you can enter a delta neutral position with, you know, 20% annualized yields. Um, I think that that re- returning would be super bullish. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, yeah, I think all time highs before 2021. Uh, and then once, once we break that, it starts to get crazy. Um, <laughs> And I think we kind of see maybe like this, the 2013, like double bubble um, where it gets, it turns into a frenzy and, you know, prices set at the margin and there's not many sellers and there's a hell of a lot of buyers chasing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, does that looks like six figures plus probably, I think. Um, and, and I don't know where that top is, but um, yeah, I think, you know, the, the Michael Thaler thesis is going to, going to be true. Okay, so in a world, this is the last question. In a world where that happens, do you see kids making more decisions like you did where it's like, hey, I'm 20 years old. I'm getting in massive debt. Here's this giant, you know, super secularly growing industry where like I I try to equate it like when you heard about the 18-year-old that got a job, they dropped out of high school, they got a job on the New York Stock Exchange floor and they're like, you know, this, I'm going to be a trader on the floor of the stock exchange. Like I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars this year and I don't have a high school education. Are we, if this happens, do we get into a world where people are like, holy shit, like my, I'm getting into debt. Meanwhile, Dylan is, is growing his wealth out of debt and like actually growing businesses in this new ecosystem. Is that, do you think that ever, that switch ever flips for your generation or is it the culture too ingrained in this like institutionalized thought? I think it switches. I think it flips for sure. Um, I don't know when, or, you know, if it's an exact moment or if it's, you know, like Bitcoin is plays a part, but more of just kind of like, uh, a, just a trend, um, that was kind of occurring beforehand of just like, you know, where this digitally native generation, like, um, whether it's digital money or digital education, like, you know, like I can't remember life without YouTube, right? Like I, I don't, it's, it's hard for me to remember life without the iPhone as, as crazy as that sounds. And so like, yeah, that makes me more people, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think just in general, you're going to have more people just considering the costs, um, especially as, as things like, you know, Sailor Academy or whatever, like, Hey, education about Bitcoin or coding or whatever it is for free. Like, that's just, um, you know, that's yeah. a reality that's going to become, you know, more and more powerful, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, hopefully, like, it, like I applied for a job and the fact that I didn't have a college education wasn't like an oh, no. It was like, oh, wait, you dropped out of school for this? Like, that's awesome. And so, yeah, yeah know, like, the, the employer, there is a psychological change from the employer because it's like totally. it. it's almost like. I didn't need all these things. You can figure it out online. The transaction costs for information are negligible. One of my buddies down here is this guy named Taylor Pearson, and he wrote this book called The End of Jobs. And I'm, I'm hoping to interview him on my, on my podcast soon. But basically, he's like the transaction costs falling to, to like zero essentially like decentralizes all the power control systems. It's what like 
the the printing press did to the Catholic Church way back when. Hmm. And I think you're like the the living embodiment of of what that means for for the next generation. So I'm I'm really you know it's awesome to to meet you virtually. Hopefully we can get a beer when you turn 21. It's on me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll see you before then. <laughs> but um, yeah, fun. really really uh, excited to follow your career too, Dylan. I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you having me, man. Thank you. All right, thanks, dude. See you.